going over to England, the UK, for the Sangha meeting. It was an occasion to meet with the senior monks and many of the junior monks from our tradition. The last time I was there for the Sangha meeting was in 2001 when this monastery was just beginning and we asked for endorsement to become a branch monastery of Wat Bapong. In that meeting the Sangha was much, much smaller. The number of monasteries around the world smaller. So now, 13 years later, you can see the growth of Ajahn Chah Sangha around the world, more monasteries and associated monasteries, more monks and nuns practicing in different situations. May even be possible one day there'll be more foreign members of the Ajahn Chah Sangha than there are in Thailand, maybe in hundreds of years' time. That might be the case. It shows how important the Buddha's words and teachings still are for humanity. So you see the spread of Ajahn Chah's teachings and Sangha and the Buddha's words around the world. They're useful for the whole of humanity even if many people are not interested. There are those who, on hearing the teachings, gain faith, confidence, and are inspired to practice. The Buddha never tried to force the teachings on anybody. He said that he revealed the truth truth that's obviously already in existence. It's the truth, the way things are, the Dhamma. The Buddha reveals the truth to the world, presents it, but it's up to us to come and investigate the Dhamma and practice. Unfortunately, many beings in this world, they neglect the Dhamma because of their strong views, the pursuit of happiness in different ways often means people are leading their lives in a way that produces suffering, not happiness and not peace. The Dhamma leads us to happiness, to peace, when understood, practiced, realized. But we can't neglect the Dhamma practice. When suffering arises, it's because we're neglecting the Dhamma. Whether it's just a moment of a mental state or a mood or a feeling, or bigger problems and issues that come up in our lives. And dukkha arises from causes and conditions. 
means we're neglecting the path, the Eightfold Path, the Four Noble Truths, the teachings of the Buddha. And so Dukkha is taking over the mind. So it's a time to, on one hand, to rejoice, see the benefit people are gaining from Dhamma practice around the world. People going forth with commitment to follow the Vinaya training as bhikkhus as well. But it's also a time to be heedful. The world is changing all the time. We're all getting older. As I said, the last meeting I went to in England was 2001. Now it's 2014. We all get older every day, so our opportunity to practice is slipping away. The very last teaching the Buddha gave all conditions are impermanent, so strive on in your practice with heedfulness, upamada. You can also see the value of Ajahn Chah's teachings and emphasis on Sangha, the harmony of the Sangha, the causes and conditions for harmony in the Sangha and how harmony in the Sangha supports our own individual practice. Lumpoliam mentioned the Parihaniya Dhammas, the seven Parihariya Dhammas, the causes for progress of the Sangha and those things which will prevent decline from setting in. He gave a talk and he mentioned how these seven factors are very important and they're reflected in Ajahn Chah's teaching and way of training. How the Sangha should meet frequently. So we have meetings in our monastic life and training. We have meditation meetings chanting meetings, work meetings, and so on. It's a frequent meeting of the Sangha. And then when they meet, to meet together in harmony, to come together at the same time, to finish at the same time. One supports the Sangha as a whole by participating in the various meetings that are scheduled or required but also the way we do it, you know, with the whole heart, with a sense of commitment. So we turn up at the same time. If there's an appointed time, then we come at the appointed time. And we don't leave till the schedule of the meeting is finished. The third factor was not to introduce revolutionary new practices that differ significantly from the original training practices and Vinaya that the Buddha taught or that Ajahn Chah taught, say. Not to make big revolutionary changes that 
take the practice away from Dhamma Vinaya, not to take out old things that were good, not to bring in new things that will lead to decline. So that's another value of having meetings, is to consider if maybe we're, as individuals or as a group, slipping away from the good Dhamma Vinaya and the training that we've been given. Something we have to review, just as we review our own individual practice of the Vinaya, to see whether we're following the rules and using them as tools for training, or we're slipping away, making mistakes, or becoming neglectful, heedless. The fourth factor is respect for elders. Implicit in our training in the Vinaya, the duties of a student towards the teacher or the preceptor. Preceptors and teachers have duties towards their students as well, but the way the Sangha has been developed over the years is that one gives weight and respect, significance to the words, advice, decisions of the elders of the community because they have more experience of Dhamma Vinaya in the training. Doesn't mean to say we don't have a voice in the community if we come to live in the community, shave our heads, Anagarika, Novice, Nawaka Bhikkhu, Majima Bhikkhu, Tera, Mahatera. We all have a voice and can discuss the Dhamma and have our opinion but it's giving weight or emphasis to the advice, the knowledge, the experience of elders as being more experienced in the practice they tend to know what works what is conducive to peace, harmony and enlightenment The fifth factor is not acting according or following craving, which is obviously a big call because we all have craving affecting us. Craving to get, craving to get rid of, craving to become. It arises out of our ignorance, lack of understanding of the Four Noble Truths the effects of craving, how it leads to attachment and on to suffering. We're deluded. We have wrong perceptions in our minds that feed craving. We see that which is impermanent as permanent. That which is dukkha we think is sukha. That which is anatta, not self, we see as self. That which is ugly we see as beautiful. Our wrong perceptions and our attachments and our ignorance supports the arising of craving. So as a group, if we act according to craving, well, we'll probably create suffering for ourselves and others. So as a sangha, we try not to make decisions just based on craving, the biases in our mind, wrong thinking and so on. 
trying to use the Dhamma Vinaya to guide our behavior and decision making. The sixth factor is the love of living in the forest, the seclusion, the peace and quiet of forest dwelling, an appreciation of that, not giving it up. Even though it's hard to live in the forest sometimes, you have to endure the changes of weather, the seasons, the lack of comfort, lack of facilities sometimes. We shouldn't lose track of why we do it, the intention and the reason behind it. You know, the, what do you gain from living in the forest? You gain a peaceful environment, free of distraction. You gain clarity, a lack of distraction, so you can focus on developing the Eightfold Path. Normal people don't like to live in the forest, or certainly not living in a sort of simple situation like in a kuti without electricity and without a toilet and so on. Most people don't want to live like that. But we can, and it brings us great advantage, especially over the long term. Keeps you out of trouble, keeps you away from all kinds of unwholesome things that go on in the world. So it's very conducive to developing inner peace, inner wisdom makes us easy to look after as well as because once a kuti is built it doesn't take much to maintain it it's not like a household where all kinds of things need to be done and maintained and bills have to be paid all the time the last factor is to dwell together in mindfulness with the thought may those who are sincere in practicing the holy life the brahmacharya may they come and practice here as well if you live together as a sangha as a community then you're always open to others who are sincere in their wish to come and practice to keep the Dhamma Vinaya and practice and train as well this way the Sangha can grow and we develop kindness, compassion towards each other, towards new members of the community as well. We have the right attitude towards people coming. We're not selfish or possessive of our place or our time and so on. And these seven Parihariya Dhammas is conducive to the progress, the flourishing of the Sangha, and they'll prevent decline from setting in. It's in line with the, the Buddha's teachings that in the end, success or decline in the practice, it comes back to us how we practice our intention, our efforts, our actions. And the Buddha always said Buddhism would disappear from the world not through external forces but because Buddhists themselves don't practice. 
they give up, they lose their faith, they lose their way, they quarrel, get obsessed with worldly aims and pursuits. So our practice of Dhamma is always coming back to our original intention, why we ordained. Our intention to free this mind from suffering. To help others to free themselves from suffering as well. And the key qualities of a Buddha or an enlightened person is purity of mind, learning to abandon the kilesas, greed, anger, delusion. You know, wisdom, insight that leads to the abandoning of kilesas. And they have compassion, understanding of suffering and how it's caused. Seeing it in their own minds, they can also see it in the minds and hearts of others, of the wish to help others free themselves from suffering as well. And this is the flavor of our practice, constantly coming back to look at ourselves over and over again and to do it consistently, regularly. It's about keeping up the practice, keeping up our efforts, our reflections, following the Vinaya, training. It's a constant practice, the Vinaya. It's not something we do one day and then not the other. We keep up our practices of the rules, the trainings, all the time. Keep developing mindfulness all the time. Keep reflecting on the three characteristics in this body and mind and the phenomena of the world all the time. This is how we can free the mind from delusion. It's that consistent or persistent effort in the practice. If we keep developing mindfulness, then the mind will stop its habit of dropping into the past, getting lost in memories and the proliferation that comes from them, getting lost in the future, thinking and planning scheming. We call the Buddha the awakened one. Literally it's one who's awakened from the all the mental proliferation, the dreaming, the lack of clarity of a human mind. This habit, we're always stuck in the past, projecting to the future, but never in the present moment, and never clear. We never see Memory is memory, thought as thought. We get lost in them. And that's the mental experience we have constantly. Getting caught up in our moods and emotions, losing our awareness. So it's as if we're asleep. But the more we put effort into the practice, bringing the mind back to the present moment with mindfulness and reflecting on the Dhamma, then it's like we are constantly waking up we're constantly creating the causes for our own enlightenment.
when you do travel the world, like travel across the globe, thousands of kilometers, you come in contact with the world. You see people, hear news, experience what people are experiencing in the world. You can see it's very clear that unfortunately many, many people are just neglecting their own welfare. They don't understand, they haven't been exposed to good teaching maybe, or they, even if they have, they haven't taken it up, taken it on board. People tend to always be following their senses, always looking for the next pleasurable experience and trying to get away from feelings of dukkha, discontent in body and mind constantly on the move. Their minds are very tired, very scattered. When you come in contact with Sangha, especially a large group of Sangha, then you see the value of the practice. People have practiced over many, many years, keeping a good standard of Vinaya, meditating, reflecting on Dhamma. You can see the value of it's brought them they understand what is suffering and its cause. And then they tend to act accordingly, stay away from ways of behaving mentally, verbally or physically that create suffering. At the very least they understand the value of sila, vinaya. On a deeper level they have more refined mindfulness maybe than the average person. And they can see the impermanent nature of phenomena more clearly, so they don't want to attach, they prefer to let go. They don't want to attach to moods of suffering, attach to views and opinions and all the, all the different ways suffering emerges. They can see the value of letting go of all that. It's another value that comes from Sangha. If you have older, more experienced members, then you can get some confidence that the practice does bear fruit, brings benefit. Whoever, we all start from our own karma, good and bad, different habits, accumulations. You can see anyone who practices this takes this path, if they keep practicing over many, many years, we can see the good, good effect it will have. So it can help to reinforce our conviction and our inspiration to practice in meeting Sangha, sharing experience, hearing talks, teachings, reflections. So tonight we have the uh, half moon day, so we can uh, practice some meditation for a while and then we'll do some chanting. <laughs> 